Oh, Afghanistan, save us from Babylon. If they can take your name away, can they take us too? It shows Reuters photojournalist Namir Noradan, driver Saeed Jamak, and several others gunned down by U.S. military in a public square in eastern Baghdad. Pilots apparently mistook the camera carried by a newsman for a weapon. Come on, fire! Hey, Roger. After the initial shooting, an unarmed group of adults and children in a minivan arrived on the scene and attempted to transport the wounded. The van was fired upon as well. Come on. WikiLeaks showed photographs of the children in the van who survived. We can infer that these sort of attacks are going on in Afghanistan. That this is the reality of modern warfare. Oh, Afghanistan, save us from Babylon. The real reason that I think Americans are going to be concerned is that there that is that there is no prospect that the mission for which their sons and daughters are being sent can be accomplished. Let me go. Get me to go. Just release. Get me to be released. Uh, I would recommend halting the surge. Uh, and a rather rapid withdrawal of a significant part of the U.S. forces that have been sent into Afghanistan over the last year. I want to go home. You know, the, the men, Afghanistan men, who are in our prisons, they want to go home too. Oh, Afghanistan, save us from Babylon. If they can take your name away, can they take us too? Hey, Thursday, April 22nd, 2010, you've got Oz in your ears, I'm your host, Peter Bergman, and on this Earth Day, my co-host, David Osman. I got a mouthful of dirt over here, Bergman. Is that, was that, is that what Earth Day As means Earth to Earth Day means to me is you get down there and you start grubbing in the earth, in the ground and you look for, you know, you look for worms and mushrooms and things like that. It's just grubby out there. It's wonderful. Well, that's what spring's all about, isn't it? It's yeah, grubby. Oh, it's just, it's grubby. It's like, mmm, it's green, grubby, and mushy, and kind of, mmm, slimy, you know, it's good, it's good. I like it. I like it's a it. good time of the year. I mean, they could have had Earth Day in the dead of winter. It would have been a whole different kind of celebration. But here it is. Put your clothes back on, kids. It's Earth Day. All right. Yeah. And Hawaii, too. Forget it. Yeah. Well, we aren't doing much. <laughs> different uh, kind of holiday. Are you kidding? We're not doing much for the Earth in Afghanistan right now except Ooh. scorching it. So now we have a responsibility maybe to do good things for the Earth here. So what can we do as things turn so so radically, as the economy unwinds, so to speak, and you know all of those goods that showered on us by just simply pressing a button or putting a piece of plastic through some sort of a machine and start to disappear? I don't know what we can do. Oh. We can, can we trade carbon emissions? I mean, just you and me, Pete, you know, oh, outside. I, yeah, can we just like carbon cap each other? I'll wear your carbon cap and you wear mine? Yeah, yeah. I mean – Otherwise, I don't have a lot of fresh ideas here. About well, I them. took a look at my carbon footprint. It was a Yeti. <laughs> I mean, you know, and, and, and I've, I've tried. No, I've tried to do things to, sure, be, sure. to be more, you know, in touch with the earth. Uh, and I looked and I said, okay, look, I've been driving this Hummer. 
All right. This 12 cylinder Hummer, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, uh, and I'd drive 50, 60 miles just to get a pencil or a oh, potato. Yeah. Sure. This, this, this is all wrong. Right? I'd drive 50 or 60 miles just to stick a pencil in a potato. There you go. This is not green thinking. This is not green it, doing. It's true. It's so, true. So I traded in my Hummer and I got myself uh, an Echo car. Uh-huh. I got myself the Honda Mini Me. The Mini Me. Yeah, right. Uh-huh. It, it, yeah. It, the, Problem is, is that it's so small. It's like driving Stephen Hawking's wheelchair. It's oh, just, oh. it's just, it's just too t- it's, totally it, uncomfortable. You and the car are in in in, in intimate situation. There. So right, I don't know I what it. I don't know what to do about that. I could walk, but um, well, I think I think the American way is to buy a Hummer or or the ones I like are the gigantic Dodge trucks. They're truly scary. They truly are. scary because the top of the grill is taller than I am. I mean, really, you know. So buy, get one of those, and you just use it to drive your garbage to the top of the hill so that get picked up once a week, you know. Otherwise, you walk or you take public transportation. Public transportation. Hey, it's very good on the island, and it's free. That's one uh, very good thing about uh, the island where we live is the public transportation, which, of course, doesn't run on Sundays when you really need it, but it's free here from one end of the island to the other. That's but, good. But if we adjusted ourselves to public mm-hmm. transportation, and I'm talking to the world out there. Oh, yeah. Now, there are some cities where this may not be relevant because they've got a really, really top-rate public transportation system. You have to – I mean, I think about the fact I'd have to spend – hours doing things that normally take me minutes. I mean, I can jump in the car, drive somewhere, do it, drive back. Public transportation, I got to go on schedules. Well, I could start, for example, learning foreign languages with all the time I'm going to be spending on the bus. I'll hop off the bus. I'm speaking Urdu. Look at this, Hungarian in 20 minutes. Yes, like <laughs> I get off the bus speaking Hungarian and there's not a Hungarian in sight. Doesn't matter. Wrong neighborhood. Yeah, I'm right. sorry, back on the bus. I, yeah, take me to Little Hungary. I get off the bus and I'm speaking Mandarin. I mean, you know, that's that's a wonderful idea. I'll have time. We'll have time to to educate ourselves, or to or to read back issues of Us or Spanker's Report or whatever's available in your home, or underneath the seat of the bus, <laughs> stuck there by with gum. Oh, so you know, this whole idea of really being kind to the earth is is confusing. When I particularly have grown up in a generation that didn't even think about being kind to the earth, all it thought about was. Driving cars fast that were made that were made in 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 Detroit and had eight hundred horsepower in them. Yeah, making things that made noise. Noise, noise, right. big, well big put. in the big in America. Things that made noise. Perhaps more more fun here than any other part of the world. You don't hear, uh, Monsieur, Madame. Now we will make lots of noise with our cars. We will drive around and around and drive you mad with our noisy cars. No, this doesn't happen. Le Mans, right? Very sophisticated. Yeah, this car should purr. This car Just like purr. my mistress, well, it should purr oh, when I touch it. My mistress is driving this car. Uh, my mistress is this car. Noise. We have no noise. Yeah, we have the purr of the love machine. But we're into fast and noise. Now, I, I, I know that that's a good hit. I mean, when, when gas was 19 cents a gallon, I mean, you could drink it all day and not even notice. <laughs> Things have changed. Well, what, there are people who are making a difference, and one of them is Jenny Pell. Oh, yes. Now, Jenny Pell is the queen of permaculture, and she's in Seattle, and she's been doing a lot to make things get green and vegetable-like all around town. Well, let's make sure we know about it. Hi, this is Jenny. Jenny, it's Peter Bergman, Radio Free Oz. How are you doing? Good, how are you? Well, I'm fine. I'm sitting here looking at an, an announcement of one of your many courses, and this one's called Eat Your Yard. 
uh, design and plant an urban edible yard. I mean, I'm not gonna get, I'm not gonna waste any time because you know we don't have much time left. What's it all about, and how does it work? Well, it's having folks tear up their lawn and put in a whole variety of perennial and annual fruits and vegetables so that they can eat right out of their front yard. And even in a tiny urban lot, you can have an enormous abundance of food growing there. So, so we're having a workshop to get people to um, see it in action. And they can take those um, skills right home and replicate it in their own front and backyard. Well, what a change. I mean, I grew up in the Father Knows Best suburb where everybody had their manicured lawn. still exists, of course. This is not a thing of the past. So instead of walking down and taking a look at all the Kentucky bluegrass and all of the Agent Orange that's been spread on it to keep out anything that isn't, Kentucky bluegrass. There's going to be gardens, right? You're going to be looking at gardens and vegetables before you see the front porch. That's a whole other world. It used to happen. Yeah, especially when you can, and then also you can trellis and arbor up your front walk so you can have vertical hanging food that you can eat on your way to your front door. Does this already exist? I mean, is this a real thing? Well, uh, I'm a renter in Seattle and I have a tiny poachage stamp yard. And you'd be probably be fairly astounded at the amount of food that I can grow there. Really? And what I did was they passed an ordinance recently in Seattle that you can grow food in a parking strip. So you're responsible for taking care of them anyway, but they had some restrictions on the height of things and for right. trees and things like that. But now the mayor passed a new ordinance that they want to encourage people to actually put food in the planting strips. Ooh, so I, I put in a planter box. Last year I put in corn, mm-hmm. a whole buffer zone that made a whole outdoor room right in front of my house. Oh, no. And this year I built a, a beautiful trellis out of bamboo that I harvested right from my little city lot. And um, I'm going to put peas and beans growing up there. So I'll just have right in my parking strip. I can just pick a, you know, plenty for dinner for months. Well, I love it. I, I just saw Into the Night here. They, they did a marvelous high school production of it. And then into the Woods. Jack and the Bean. Into the Woods, excuse me, not Into the Night. Where am I? And uh, Jack of the Beanstalk, you know, you could plant one of those magic beanstalks and think of a whole change in foreign relations when you can meet the other people just by climbing up uh, in, from your garden. I mean, it, it, garden to garden sounds to me like the kind of foreign policy I want. That's the world I want to live How in. How about neighbor poaching? Neighbor poaching? Well, what's interesting is that because we're out in our yard, I have a three-year-old as well, but we're out there, you know, picking stuff and planting things and working the compost and harvesting flowers from the table and... Um, the neighbors walk by, and it's like a little eddy. They stop and say, oh, your garden's so beautiful. Oh, look at that. Oh, those are potatoes. You can really grow potatoes in the city. And so I think that just because I'm outdoors and because I have something interesting, and I put a lot of flowers in there, too, so it makes it very beautiful, um, it becomes a neighborhood attractant as well as a pollinator attractant as well as a you know, food-producing area. And it's just a very interesting phenomenon because people, I think, are really, I mean, not to be trite here, but they're really hungry for it. Well, no, that isn't trite. And, you know, it, it creates a much, it creates a, a safety zone, too, because if, if gardens require a lot of work, a lot of love and a lot of attention, and the more attention you put to your neighborhood, the safer it is because, obviously, the more eyes are watching, the more people are involved. There's there, all that desolation of the, of the suburban, you know, lot by lot by lot. There's no Nobody home, you know. Good Lord. Yeah. I, I love it. I yeah, love yeah, yeah. And you, you're, you're giving, I know you're giving a seminar soon in um, Seattle, and I want to, you to give folks the, the website information, which will also be up on the RadioFreeHouse.com website, uh, because, of course, a lot of people that we're talking to are in Kazakhstan, and they won't be able to make it because of the time problems, and they don't have the air miles because they haven't bought yeah. enough on their MasterCard. So uh, give us the general information, uh, Jenny, so we can... Well, those, those 90s are going to miss a good one. 
Um, I've been invited by the Northwest Eco-Building Guild to do a lecture on permaculture in architecture. Mm-hmm. So the audience there are people who are contractors, designers, architects, builders, remodelers. We do a lot of retrofitting in Seattle. We have a lot of really beautiful already built houses that need to be updated. Yep. And so I'm teaming up with a couple other permaculture um, young folks, mm-hmm. and we're going to discuss how to use the architecture, the design of architecture, so that the scaffolding becomes um, what we're going to put the plant environment into. So we're going to use the architectural structure as our scaffolding mm-hmm. for trellising and for rooftop gardens and for water catchment systems and oh. for gray water systems. And so when you're looking at, you know, I think you can still get through architecture school and not be required to take environmental design as an elective. Wow, you can get through architecture so me, school and never eat fresh vegetables. I mean, it's, it's not... And never eat fresh vegetables. And, and never really make a connection that the architect has a leadership role to play in bringing about a local economy that includes... Uh, like, if you could design as an architect a house that already had gray water systems in it, or you could design a house that had the bones to support a really substantial rooftop garden or had a place that had a really easy-to-use um, composting system that was part of the architectural setup. That makes a lot of sense. And, of course, passive solar design um, is all part of that attached solar greenhouses so you can be um, extending your growing season both in the spring and the fall, but also using that passive solar gain to heat your house and using thermal mass techniques, It's so doable is what makes it so hopeful. I mean, everything you've said, well, I get. I mean, I'm, I'm not, you know, I, you don't have to be a, 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 master's, a master architect to understand what you're talking about. Absolutely not. And that's the whole point. I and mean, permaculture, at its, at, for me, at the essence, is just common sense. Well, and I think we've had the luxury in a you know fossil fuel era to do a lot of things that don't make sense. Like designs of my neighbor's house right next door to me, they don't have one window on the south side of their house. Well, that's it's because crazy. it's a meth lab, but that's another thing altogether, Jenny. We won't get. I'm going to have to leave you now, but we're going to hear much more from you on Daily Radio Free Oz, Jenny Pell. And let's uh, let's have the uh, website right now. Let's just make sure they hear it. Okay, it, so my website is Permaculture Now. Dot com. Permaculturenow.com. And you go up to RadioFreeOz.com, uh, Jenny Pell, there'll be, a, there'll be a hot link there. Thank you so much for being with us, okay? Okay. Thanks, Peter. Talk to you soon. Okay, talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Let's strip it down close to the bone. Let's take it off. Uncover your soul Take off your makeup, high heel shoes Jump in the river, let's all get loose Take off your hat, your big back of boots Jump in the river, let's all get loose I said, ooh, 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 ooh. Let's strip it down Close to the bottom Let's take it all, uncover your soul, close your eyes, open your ears, lay on the earth, see what you hear, close your ears, open your eyes, lay on the earth and release your fear, I said, ooh, 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 ooh,
TV, video game Run outside and release your brain Unplug your phone, computer too I Run outside, let's all get loose it It's a gentle time. Hey, hey, tell me, Mr. Bergman, yes. I'm the inspector that comes around and, and rates your program. Yep. I've been here before, and I, I offered you an R rating, but you had you weren't going to buy that. And I didn't no. buy it. No. Well, I wonder if you – I'm worried about this, uh, this Earth Day thing you got here because we got a PG rating that involves uh, – well, it involves actually a caterpillar, sir. And uh, I'd like to know – it's a very small print on this government document here, but – it uh, it says a smoking caterpillar. Now you're not going to have one of those because no. you'd get a PG rating on this show if you had a, a caterpillar. That like was... in Alice in Wonderland, the guy with the hookah. Yeah, that's a smoking caterpillar. Oh, I was thinking of one that was, you know, uh, oh, that's an entirely different. You mean smoking like like, like a hookah? A sick, uh, like a hookah? Uh, like a hookah? I'm oh. not just talking about like cooking one, throwing one on the grill oh, with the barbecue. I thought that was really disgusting on Earth Day. Well, I take back my rating entirely. Excuse me, you just go right on with your show, sir. Okay. Okay. No smoking uh, caterpillars coming up here, Dave. But we do have Phil Proctor's Planet Proctor. Always looking forward to this, and he has another letter from Desiree Colbeck. Ooh. The you know, the last one, if I remember correctly, was to the Chinese busboy. This one is to a famous rapper. Today, a letter from Desiree Colbeck to rap star Eminem. Dear Diary, for some reason, I am so upset today. There was a thing on the TV called Eminem. I really wanted to see it because I like him. I want to be a housewife with children, and it just be me and my husband, me and the children. Me and my husband sleep together. I only really love one man and want to be with him. I want to find the love of my life. He's probably in New York. I want to find Eminem. I love him. I wonder if my grandmother knows who he is. Well... If I go to my Aunt Kathy's house, I would talk to Larissa about it. I wonder if Eminem is married. I wonder if he would love me, too. The first time I saw him, I fell in love with him. I want to find him so bad. If I had my own house, I would be a wonderful housewife and so on. I hope he doesn't have a girlfriend already. I wonder how old he is. 
I'll probably say I'm 18 or something, even though I'm only 12. Well, I want to leave and get out of here and find the man I love, who is Eminem. I love him very much so. I want to find out on the Internet when I get kicked out and go to my grandmother what his number is and talk to him. I wish I could see him and hold him in my arms and kiss him. I love him so much. I know he'll love me a lot because inside, I can really be sweet. But when someone says something I don't like, I want to grind their lips into the cement. <laughs> I guess the reason I love him so much is because of the following. White? Rapper? Handsome? Look Scandinavian. What I like about his face is his nose and eyes. Oh, I hope I'm there on time to see Eminem before he finds a girlfriend. Oh, how I love him so much. I about think of him all day and wish I was near him and be with him. I love him. Good night, my love. Good night. I love you, Eminem. I wonder what his real name is. Well, bye. Cows with guns. Dana Lyons is with us. We're talking about the environment. And Dana, it's Earth Day. Happy Earth Day, Peter. Yeah, you were there right at the beginning, right? I was. I was 10 years old in 1970 for the first Earth Day. I remember I had a wonderful English teacher who was way into it, and she was teaching us about and showing us everything that was going on around the world. And I... I decided to do some organizing myself. I organized like 25 kids in our apartment complex to go out and walk the drainage ditches in uh, Greeley, Colorado, picking up garbage. And we picked up a lot of garbage. It was fun. I always thought of that. I had this vision a long time ago. I said, you know, what's coming to America is a special type of Maoism. I see people all wearing jeans and similar plaid shirts, not the same. In the sewer drains, picking up garbage. It's you know, it's it's a it's it's Mao now, you know, without bowing down. No, no Mao Tao. So uh, Earth Day today, it's still happening. What what was your favorite? What's your most favorite Earth Day? You've been through a lot. You've performed on a lot of Earth Days. What which one sticks out? I have performed on a lot of Earth Days, and uh, I think my favorite ones were there when they were trying to turn my mic off at corporate sponsored stages. <laughs> <laughs> where? Where? Which corporation? Where? Um, this was was this last year? It was in the last two years. Oh, no. yeah, yeah. It's because like when I'm playing at a lot of greenwashing goes on at Earth Day. Uh, greenwashing is when you take uh, the biggest polluters in the world and they put a lot of money into Earth Day to try to look like they're green. Oh, they're greenwashing. They're greenwashing. Right. That's okay. uh, so it's you know everyone's trying to look green. Who are the big greenwashers, would you say? Today? Oh my god. Well, let's just give us four <laughs> or five of them so we can salute them here on Radio Free Oz. Oh, well, uh British Petroleum. Oh, BP, is, big uh, greenwashing. And uh, they had me too. Yeah. 2 years ago, I was listening to the CEO and he was talking a green streak and he was saying real things and I was like god is it possible is it possible that a corporation can actually overcome their man- mandatory profit motive and do something green and 
No, it's not possible. No, that's it's not. I, that's the answer for all your listeners. <laughs> the answer is no. All right, After well, we'll, leave it, we'll leave it with BP. Yeah, they're, they're, you know, they, they got me going, too. I'll look at their ads, and I thought, wait a minute, this is in Fortune magazine. Who are they talking to? How did they afford? Oh, look at this message. We are, oh, I know, it's just wonderful. Everybody. You know who really is green, though? Is Washington is going green, because the Obama administration is bringing in the best and the brightest, and they're all green. Everybody that's going to the West Wing, which is what Obama's Washington is now, they're all green. And it's, it's going to have a tremendous ripple effect. You know, it's no longer, no longer at all outre to be green in Washington, D.C., Absolutely. So, now, who's green in the Obama administration? All of them, in the sense that they're all they are all um, um, uh, sensitive to the environment. They may not be doing, uh, they may not be acting as quickly as you think, but everything happens from the middle. Everything happens slowly, but the incremental effect is going to be amazing. Did you, did you read the headlines yesterday? Drill, baby, drill. <laughs> well, that can't be yesterday because this is supposed to be Earth Day. Oh no, we are. We've given ourselves away. We've oh, given oh. ourselves away. Drill, drill, baby, b- drill, baby, drill. Yeah. Well, you know, nobody's perfect. You know, but no, uh, I think uh, no, I think uh, you know we need to encourage the Obama administration and the green things they are doing, and they are doing some. But I think it's also important that we call them out on the things that they that they're doing wrong. And the the two two of the big things that are you know shining examples that were announced in the last uh, couple of weeks were the subsidizing of the new nuclear power, and then the the drilling off of most of the Alaska shore and part of the. Atlantic shore. And, um, you know, we, we have to, you know, just because uh, Obama is a well-spoken, <clears throat> amazing politician and, uh, and a visionary in his Doesn't own way. Doesn't mean we don't keep his feet to the fire. Absolutely. Uh, but the thing that I'm saying about Washington going so green is that what if he's doing something that the greenies don't like, there are a lot of greenies as interns and working all through Washington, and the buzz is bad when something goes down that's not green. It's it's. I, I worked there in the summer in the Kennedy administration. Really? And, and there's a huge amount of networking of people who are between 18 and 30. They're not running things, but they're everywhere. And, and, that's and true. their buzz that's true. has that's, a tremendous effect on the older people who are running it. That, that is a hopeful thing. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that to me. I forgot about that. Well, I mean, Rahm Emanuel may be a nine-fingered ex-ballet dancer and a really tough, good guy, but he's not necessarily green, nor can he necessarily think in those terms, but his office is just, it's seeping up, you know, and it's going to have a tremendous effect. Yep, I think we can all be hopeful about this. So, happy Earth Day to you. Happy Earth Day. And hope to see you here. I hope we're still here next Earth Day. The only thing that bothers me is, wait a minute, this is Earth Day. What happens tomorrow? Do I, like, not think Earth? No, you, you got three sixty four, three hundred sixty four days to relax. Yeah, just yeah, take and it easy. And then uh, n- a year from now, you can think about it. Yeah. No, no, Earth Day. It's it's an important institution because it's it's part of the ritual where we all focus on. Uh, oh yeah, what is the what is going on here, and what are we going to do about it? That's what that's what annual holidays are good for. It's they annual holidays. They're rituals. They're and so it's it's important. Um, and you know what it comes down to is, you know, whatever your opinion on the Obama administration, on whether the Greens going in the right direction or not, what it all comes down to is, are we going to do the work in the local institutions, our schools, our places of worship, parks? Are we going to do it locally or not? Remember, pollute locally, warm globally. (laughs) (laughs) Happy Earth Day. (laughs) You too, buddy.
fat and docile, big and dumb. They look so stupid, they aren't much fun. Cows aren't fun. They eat to grow, grow to die, die to be et at the hamburger fry. Cows well done. Nobody thunk it, nobody knew. No one imagined the great cow guru. Cows are one. He hid in the forest, read books with great zeal. He loved Che Guevara, a revolutionary veal. Cows say tongue. He spoke about justice, but nobody stirred. He felt like an outcast, alone in the herd. Cow doll drums. He moved we must fight, escape or we'll die. Cows gathered around, cause the stakes were so high. Bad cow pun. But then he was captured, stuffed into a crate, loaded onto a truck where he rode to his fate. Cows are bummed. He was a scrawny calf who looked rather woozy. No one suspected he was packing an Uzi. Cows with guns. They came with a needle to stick in his thigh. He kicked for the groin. He pissed in their eye. Cow well hung. Knocked over a tractor and ran for the door. Six gallons of gas flowed out on the floor. Run, cows, run. He picked up a bullhorn and jumped up on the hay. We are free roving bovines. We run free today. We will fight for bovine freedom and hold our large heads high. We will run free with the buffalo or die. Cows with guns. Crashed the gate in a great stampede. Tipped over milk truck, torched all the feed. Cows have fun. Sixty police cars were piled in a heap, covered in cow pies, covered up deep. Much cow dung. Black smoke rising, darkening in the day. Twelve burning McDonald's. Have it your way. We will fight for bovine freedom and hold our large heads high. We will run free with the buffalo or die. Cows with guns. The president said, "Enough is enough." These uppity cattle. It's time to get tough. Cow dung flung. The newspapers gloated. Folks sighed with relief. Tomorrow at noon they would all be ground beef. Cows on buns. The cows were surrounded. They waited and prayed. They mooed their last moos. They chewed their last hay. Cows outgunned. The order was given to turn cows to whoppers, enforced by the might of ten thousand coppers. <laughs>
But on the horizon, surrounding the shoppers, came the deafening roar of chickens in choppers. We will fight for bovine freedom and hold our large heads high. We will run free with the buffalo or Yeah, people are losing their jobs all over the country, and the Congress has moved forward to do something to ameliorate their pain. But you know who should really be losing their jobs big time and not getting any recompense? In fact, they should be giving it all back. Uh, Are those uh, guys who have spent the last decade stealing from widows and orphans on Wall Street? I'm talking about the Jolly Green Gangsters at that morally, if not financially, bankrupt Gotham boiler room Goldman Sachs of crap. The government has now accused Goldman of defrauding investors by failing to disclose conflicts of interest in mortgage investments it sold as the housing market was faltering. I'm reading from the gray lady on this. The government has brought civil charges against the Wall Street powerhouse and one of its vice presidents. The agency alleged Goldman failed to disclose that one of its clients helped create and then bet against subprime mortgages securities that Goldman sold to investors. These are slime balls. These vast rooms that they work in full of testosterone, monitors, and slime balls. Investors in the mortgage securities are alleged to have lost more than $1 billion, the Securities Exchange Commission said. The agency is seeking to recoup profits reaped on the deal. Good luck. These bucks are up someone's nose or down somewhere in the Caymans. You can bet on that. Well, here's, what, here's how Goldman figured it out. They're real big. Real big in the mortgage business, bullish on mortgage, selling mortgages, working with banks, financing, refinancing. And then there's these couple of guys, see, couple of guys inside the, the Goldman Sachs mortgage uh, division who have a different idea about what might be going down. These guys are Toure and Eagle. I don't even need their first names. Who cares? They figured out that uh, things were going to go sour, and they were going to go sour real soon. And they, unlike most of the people at uh, Goldman Sachs, knew that if one group of mortgages and mortgage bonds ran into trouble, the entire market might falter. So they put together something called the Abacus package or the Abacus deal. And this was basically a bet against the mortgage-backed bonds. It included kind of an insurance-like protection. So if the bond went bad, you got paid insurance, okay? So these these things are called credit default swaps. Way over my head, but you see, I'm just an honest guy. And they were not, they were worth very little in 2005 when the housing market was just booming. But when things began to go sour, they became real valuable. Now, here's the real crux of the issue. Not only are they putting together these these packages of rotten loans, loans they know are going to go bad, 
But they got John A. Paulson, who runs a huge hedge fund and is one of their clients, to help them choose the most rotten of the mortgage bonds. So then they put all of these together, okay? And then they sold them to clients around the world, mainly large banks. And one of the, uh, the uh, Goldman Sachs uh, uh, excuses, well, we were selling to sophisticated investors and caveat emptor. They should have done their research. Oh, that's great. Yeah, you go to a respected doctor you've been working with for years, and he, and he slides you bogus medicine or medicine that's going to make you sick, and it's your fault that you didn't check it out in the um, pharmacological encyclopedia. And letting this guy Paulson choose the rotten bonds that are going to collapse, right, is like not only do you give rotten medicine, to your clients, but you bet on the guy who makes gravestones. So uh, here's Goldman Sachs. Bully, bully, bully about mortgages. Finally figure it out. All of a sudden, they change their stance in December 2006. They get together in a windowless conference room on the executive floor. That's so no one could see or hear these smart guy insiders concocting their conspiracy. Now, their chief financial officer, this Mr. Vinyar, and then Mr. Cohn, the president, gathered about oh, 10 executives uh, for a briefing. Here's the message. Goldman had to reduce its exposure to the increasingly troubled mortgage market. The executives uh, told the traders suddenly sell Goldman's positive bets on housing, i.e. get us out of the bully of the bull position and turn it around. And they, then they suddenly went short on mortgages and that position yield them a $4 billion profit in 2007. Not only should these people lose their jobs. Now it's just a civil suit. It's not a criminal suit. So we can't throw them into the conspiracy pokey, but they should be forced to like ladle out soup to the homeless or something else improbable. There's more. There's the uh, lying Lehman Brothers tale, which I'll be right back with. But I need some music. This is too much. This is just too much. Hog manure. Hog manure is very valuable, but it must be used with care. Very liable to make cabbages clump-footed. To induce a disease in turnips called anbury fingers and toes. It is so violent in its actions. Back to the bad boys on Wall Street. Now let's talk about lying Lehman Brothers. They're no longer with us. They went bankrupt and took the street down with them. How did that happen? Well, the culprit was Repo 105. That's short for repurchase agreements. I like that sound, Repo 105. It sounds like the kind of graffiti they should have sprayed all over the Lehman Brothers building and probably they should have tagged the executives with it. Repo 105, I'm here, I'm gone. Okay, these repurchase agreements involve what amounts to a short-term loan. 
um, exchanging collateral for cash up front, and then unwinding the trade as soon as sometimes overnight. So it's basically an accounting sleight of hand, uh, which allowed Lehman to temporarily remove about $50 billion worth of assets from its balance sheet, helping to make it look better than it really was. Here's the deal. You come to the end of the quarter, you're going to uh, publish your balance sheet. And um, instead of having a lot of these securities, you know, sitting in your vaults waiting to be sold, you park them overnight and they come up as a sale, which means you look $50 billion more liquid than you really are. The problem is, is that by American law, it's not a sale. So what are these poor Lehman Brother boys going to do? They, they, they invented this thing in 2001. They didn't use it big time till about 2007. And the way they did it is they went to a prestigious London-based accounting firm called Linkladders and got Linkladders to tell them that under British law, it's a sale. Now, under American law, it's not, but under British law, it's a sale. So they can legitimately park $50 billion worth of securities overnight when they publish their quarterlies, buy it back the next day, and everything's just fine, as long as it's happening in England. So there's the problem, which is if you can't do it in America, you're going to have to run all of these slimy transactions through their English office. And that's exactly what they did. They put it all through Lehman Brothers International. Okay, how much did they write off the books this way? How much did they over-evaluate themselves before they crashed? $8.3 billion, fourth quarter 2007. $14.9 first quarter 2008. $13.6 billion, the second quarter of 2008. Man, that's a lot of money. That's almost $40 billion right there. And then when everybody discovered that it wasn't there, they collapsed. Well, you'd think the SEC would have would have caught on, you know, they would have figured it out. Well, first of all, there the chairman of uh, or Layman's chief executive, I should say, former chief executive Richard S. Fold uh, went for Congress and he said, I have absolutely no recollection whatsoever of hearing anything about repo 105 transactions while I was CEO of Lehman, nor do I have any recollection of seeing documents that related to repo 105 transactions. Yeah. Yeah, like I am really ready to believe Mr. Fold. Yeah, they're going to they're going to create 50 billion dollars worth of false liquidity and he don't know nothing about it. But it wasn't just their fault. Now, Anton Arvelukas, the court appointed examiner who dissected the Lehman Brothers bankruptcy, went before Congress and criticized the SEC for standing by idly as the investment bank veered towards collapse. So the very people that are supposed to help us weren't there. The SEC knew that Lehman did not have adequate liquidity and had exceeded its own limits on risk-taking, but in essence did nothing, says Volucas. One of the most damning findings in Mr. Volucas's 2,209-page report people really have to read these things, is that Lehman used accounting practices to hide the extent of its indebtedness that was not known to the SEC. He wrote, I saw nothing in my investigation to suggest that the SEC asked even the most fundamental questions that might have uncovered this practice early on before Lehman escalated it to a $50 billion issue. Digestion and its products. Let us suppose that we have a full-grown ox, which is not increasing in any of its parts, but 
only consumes food to keep up his respiration and to supply the natural wastes of his body. When food is given to animals, it is not put out of existence, but is merely changed in form. I'll be reading the introduction to Survival Plus, Structuring Prosperity for Yourself and the Nation, written by Charles Hugh Smith, one of my favorite minds. I hope to have him on the show soon. In his introduction, Smith says, Since launching my blog, OfTwoMinds.com, in May 2005, nothing seemed more important than warning readers that the unsustainably leveraged credit-mad global financial system was poised to break down. Once the system finally crashed in late 2008, my goal switched to writing a practical guide for not just surviving the coming great transformation, but prospering, a concept I called Survival Plus. This requires liberating ourselves from failed models of credit expansion, resource depletion, financial looting, and a counterfeit prosperity built entirely on debt. I immediately ran into several great difficulties. Many others had foreseen the same calamity, and their focus narrowed on individual survival, relocating to a remote, sustainable spot, and preparing for societal collapse by stockpiling self-defense and food. While prudent and practical on a short-term timeline, this response struck me as incomplete on several levels. Most importantly, stockpiling six-month supplies would not sustain anyone through a 20-year crisis and transformation. Their own crisis was simply being delayed a relatively short time. In other words, what happens in month seven? Secondly, many survivalist proponents focus on individual preparation, as if a single person or household can prosper without a stable, caring community for reciprocal support. This notion ran counter not just to my own experience, but to all of human history. While I understand the desire to opt out and become an isolationist, a solution to general turmoil which has roots going back to the dissolution of the Roman Empire and the Warring States era in ancient China— I felt a more practical, longer-term option to isolationism should also be presented. The second great difficulty is that individuals, households, and communities exist in larger units, city-states, countries, nations, and continents. Even if nation-states were to break apart, the world would remain tightly interconnected. Events, weather, shortages, and surpluses in distant places would continue to impact us all. States, by which I mean all forms of government, will continue to extend control over resources and wealth. Trade has been a key component to security and prosperity since the dawn of civilization. Long before fossil fuels dominated the global economy, land and sea trade in both goods and innovations bound Asia, the Mideast, and Europe. Thus, a retreat to isolated islands of self-sufficiency, while understandable and practical on one level, does not align with what history teaches us about prosperity. Prosperity ultimately depends on stable communities, surplus production, and trade. These essentials have been largely ignored in analyses of the coming great transformation. Thus, our individual survival and prosperity are inextricably bound up in larger contexts. We cannot just ignore community, state, and trade forces as if they will cease to exist. Viewing ourselves in isolation is ultimately misleading. That's why I subtitled this book, Structuring Prosperity for Yourself and the Nation. To believe that we can prosper individually without regard for the actions of our fellow citizens and the state is simply not practical. Yes, a handful of very rugged people have the experience required to live in the deepest remains of wilderness, 
but the wilderness cannot support more than a handful of people, and most of us do not have the requisite skills or ruggedness to survive in that splendid isolation. This, then, is a practical book for the rest of us. As I organized the book, another great difficulty quickly arose. I realized that the way a problem is phrased implicitly stakes out the eventual solution. As a result, the greatest challenge in understanding our plight, both as individuals and communities, is essentially conceptual. The forces which benefit most from the status quo are pouring all of their prodigious resources into framing the problems in such a way that the obvious solutions leave their own power, influence, and wealth intact. Lest you wonder how this works, recall that all through the initial phase of the financial crisis in 2008, the mainstream media and standard-issue financial punditry blamed the entire crisis on foolish, low-income home buyers who had chosen to finance their purchases with subprime mortgages. Framed in this way, the problem appeared to be caused by credulous citizens in the lower socioeconomic levels. The solution was thus to eliminate these people from the pool of potential homebuyers and auction off their foreclosed homes to worthier buyers. But subsequent events revealed this framing of the problem to be highly selective. The problem extended far beyond feckless subprime borrowers into the top rungs of American capitalism, the money center and investment banks, and a politically driven absence of oversight by the very government agencies tasked with protecting the public. The status quo's convenient framing of the problem ensured that any solutions would leave their power, wealth, and influence entirely intact. Only the impoverished subprimes would suffer, not those who profited so immensely from the housing credit bubble. Wow, Pete, uh, what's the name of that book again? It's Survival Plus by Charles Hugh Smith. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love mm-hmm. his mind, and that's just a small part of the introduction. It's a real thick book, and it's well well worth going up to of twominds.com and ordering like the you can get the e-version for i think he gives it away for free or something like that that's a deal there's a deal you can't turn away from (laughs) i love the fact that indeed you know we talked earlier about lehman brothers and goldman sachs and uh, the the slime balls and all the lying and 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 chicanery and people still think that the whole thing fell down because a a bunch of greedy uh lower middle class people you know took on phony loans and knew what was happening all along and brought us down what, what can I say? I mean, sure, of course that was the line. Of course that's always the line. The The line out there is we're paying our taxes so that uh, uh, feckless, irresponsible, illegal aliens can have birth control. You know, that's true. That, that's I mean, it. that's the big complaint out there. And they're invading Arizona and it's costing them a lot of money for birth control or for birth or for saving people's lives or for something – that might be socially beneficial to somebody else. We seem to be doing everything we can to kind of like not to survive. You know, this huge hue and cry about socialized medicine. Well, actually, all it was is all it is is an attempt to get more people covered by health care so they can go back to work. Yeah, well, the, the, the bottom line on all of that is if everybody isn't covered by it, then statistically you can't have it. It's true. You, you can't. You got to have the 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 ins and the outs. You got to have the lives and the deads and the ones in between. That's how they. That, that's the marketing. That's how they count heads out there. And the only way to make it affordable is to make the insurance pool huge, right? Because if you, if you're only going to insure the people that are like healthy and the other people who are like maybe ate wrong, too fat, breathed asbestos, whatever it is, if those of those those are the outies, they're going to be like flooding the hospitals and costing us a fortune. Eh. 
it's not a very good, not a very good idea. Not, not a very good not, plan. Not a good, not a good plan. Hey, you know, but uh, uh, the uh, warning against smoking. Now that was that has had some influence. You know, if you do change people's habits, I don't know about taxing, you know, Coca Cola or another two cents or whatever. I don't think that's going to have much of an effect on people's. Uh, consumption of, of sweet carbonated drinks because actually there are certain times of day and year where a sweet carbonated drink is just exactly what you want. And I don't care whether you want it or not. There are a lot of people in India who really want it because it's hot. Maybe we can tax the people in India who are drinking Coca-Cola, bring the money to us. That's I mean, we're a, shipping them all our jobs that's or some it. of our jobs. Do you know that 25,000 IRS form, forms were uh, sent offshore to be uh, filled out and audited to be audited by by Indian um, accountants. <laughs> That's just wonderful. Somebody in India is looking at my tax form, finding out what I did during the year. I'm not sure I like that idea. Well, the other thing about that about surviving and all of that having to do with community uh, and. The you see these guys in their with their sidearms and their camouflage suits and their you know their backwoodsy whole thing, and at the six months, yeah, that's six months worth of provisions, and then they are a skeleton lying in the yard because who cares about them living in the woods? I'm sorry. <laughs> Forget it. You know, or, or, or they have to come at you with a gun and take it away from you. Well, you know, if they come at us with a gun, then I'm perfectly willing to fight, win, and end the civil war in ten minutes. Which is, if you want out, baby, you can get out. That would be my answer, Mister Lincoln, and let him go. The tide is on the brink of extinction. The sky is on the verge of collapse. The birds and the trees all are falling like leaves. The memories are floating away. The cabins on the shore. Just a river of dust. The ships on the bay all go sailing away. They won't be back here again. Drinking in moonlight from 7th century China. They know how to live. I sit with my wine jar among flowers, blossoming trees. No one to drink with. Well, there's the moon. I raise my cup and ask him to join me, bringing my shadow, making us three. But the moon doesn't seem to be drinking, and my shadow just creeps around behind me. 
Still, we're companions tonight, me, the moon, and the shadow. We're observing the rites of spring. I sing, and the moon rocks back and forth. I dance, and my shadow weaves and tumbles with me. We celebrate for a while, then go our own ways. Drunk. May we meet again someday in the white river of stars overhead. Oh, David, what a beautiful way to cap our Earth Day show. Yep, that's it for Earth Day. David Osman, my co-host. I'm your host, Peter Bergen, here on Radio Free Oz. Our producer is Bill McIntyre. Our audio engineer, the owner here of Blue U Studios, is Dave Maloney. John Cumming is our technical wizard. And Phil Fountain runs the Oz Design Group that makes the website look oh so good. See you tomorrow. Yes, tomorrow you're going to have more Oz in your ears. <laughs>